dreams in every country. Dreams, you know we can work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA. Welcome to the ISA Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This is Tom Smiley at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory, and this series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture and is brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. This podcast series offers full-length educational talks by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners, helping to keep you up to date with new developments in the arboriculture industry. Today's talk is by Dr. Rex Bastian, Regional Technical Advisor with the Davy Tree Expert Company and Board Certified Master Arborist. Rex's presentation is on the topic, Why Trees Die. It was originally presented at the 2005 ISA International Conference in Orlando, Florida. Good afternoon, everyone. All right. Has anybody, anybody asked you that before? Yeah? What did you tell them? <laughs> yeah? Who knows what? Who knows what? Well, I tell you. Um, how many of you... How many of you ever had the, uh, the opportunity to hear Dr. Alex Shigo speak and roll his snowballs as he talked about things? And, you know, Dr. Shigo left us in 2006, and, you know, we, that was, back in the conferences of those days, that was, that was a big thing, you know, the, the whole, you know, Shigo on trees things, and, and as it should be. But I've kind of seen more and more, as I get older and older, and new arborists coming into the fold, sometimes I think we might have neglected some of those things over the time. You know, we get so hung up in the details that we forget the basics. And so this talk is really that idea to get back to basics and, and really look at this question and say, why do trees die? And I'm not, here I'm not going to talk about you know, the hurricane that takes the tree down or the lightning strike that absolutely, you know, destroys the tree in front of us. It's more of those subtle things, all right? But to understand how trees decline and die, we have to know certain things. We have to understand stress and how it affects trees. And to do that, we must also understand tree anatomy, how trees function, because they are functioning systems, they are generating systems. The processes of respiration, photosynthesis, transpiration, translocation, absorption, I should have had that down there as well. And also how trees allocate resources. Trees are just like us. They have budgets, they allocate things. They prioritize things, and depending on what's going on, they can pick and choose. Sometimes they pick wisely, Sometimes they pick poorly. They pick poorly. They choose poorly. And so these all kind of play into this concept. Don't touch that button. Touch this button. 
And we go back into that. What is stress? What is it? What is it? What is stress? Combination. A lot of things. Any condition complex of conditions that limits the tree's ability to obtain resources from the environment. So they can't get it. Maybe they're not there. Maybe they can't get it. Maybe they can't move it from place A to B. But the idea is they need something and they can't get it. And this can occur of or by an actual shortage of those resources in the environment or the inability of the tree to obtain those things from the environment. Maybe they're there, but they're, they just can't get them. They can't get them. All right? So in order to build on this concept, we have to have this really good idea of what tree physiology is. And these processes within trees that all work together in order to create these wonderful organisms that we know as trees. Photosynthesis, respiration, transpiration, absorption, translocation, growth and development and defense. All those things, they all need to work. They all need to work together. So photosynthesis then. And you can go back and say, Christ, I know all this stuff. But it's amazing that, yeah, we know it, but sometimes, you know, how do we apply it? Water comes from the soil. Is it always there? Not always. If it's there, can a tree always get it? Not always. But it has to come from the soil and carbon dioxide from the air. You think, well, carbon dioxide is everywhere. That's not a problem. What if the tree doesn't have any leaves? Now it's a problem. Can't get carbon dioxide, can't get it in. No leaves, can't build on it. In the presence of light energy and chlorophyll in leaves, green twigs, green tissues, anywhere, we produce sugar and oxygen. That's returned to the air. And it was interesting, you know, we, how many people were in the talk this morning where that, gee, that oxygen thing maybe isn't quite as big of a deal as we sometimes make it out to be, simply because of the reservoir of oxygen that's there. But still, they do provide these benefits. And this system, of course, is the process that allows on this planet. And sugar, up here, can function either as a potential energy source, a stored energy source for later use, or it can serve as a kinetic energy source, that kind of a source that is needed immediately. Kind of potential, because to build it, you've got to put it in the bonds, but then you may break it down. So what happens to that sugar? A lot of it is used as a kinetic energy resource. It's used right up. It's used as fast as the tree makes it. It's used right up. It's moved someplace else, torn down, break the bonds, take the energy from the sun that was put into those bonds, rip it all apart, and use it to do something else. Make something else, build something else, make an enzyme, make a protein, provide energy to absorb a nutrient, provide energy to do something. Most of that fuels day-to-day -day processes. That sugar can be chained together to make cellulose, how the tree makes more of itself, by chaining sugar molecules together in a certain way to make wood, lignin, tissues. Chained together to make starch as a stored product to save for a later date, the bank deposit, or it can be used as fuel to make protective chemicals. So your sugar can be used in this thing 
What about that first part? This part back here, a lot of it's just used right up in the process of respiration. It's made in photosynthesis, and then that sugar, we take that photosynthetic process and we run it backwards. So here's our photosynthesis on the top, carbon dioxide, water, produce oxygen, and then a lot of that sugar just goes right back and is burned up right at the place of manufacture. It didn't move anywhere, it's just burned up right there, and that processes uses the sugar plus the oxygen to produce energy, water, and carbon dioxide. It's the reverse of photosynthesis, and a lot of those sugars are just burned to provide day-to-day -day energy that the tree needs in order to survive. It's used right away. How did it use right away? Ultimately, this becomes the key process. Respiration becomes the key process. That water that needs to get up in the top, it's provided by the process of transpiration. That pull, because water being the molecule that it is, can be is actually pulled up the tree as water evaporates through the stomates and moves out, it tugs on the next water molecule because they're like little magnets, and they're drawn up the trunk from the roots and pulled up out into the air. So as water vapor is lost, water molecules pull each other up the plant. Direct connections exist from the leaves down to the root system. And anything that screws around with those connections can result in an upset of the water being provided up to the leaves in order to fuel photosynthesis. So these systems, as we go through them, they see that they depend on each other. They depend on each other. And as we said in Look as a Tree, you know, I keep going back. You roll, Dr. Shiloh, roll that snowball back and say, what does that, how do we analyze, how do we use that information when we're challenged with a tree that's either in good shape or poor shape, trying to figure out a management plan for that tree? Are we thinking of it really in the basic terms of what these processes are? The water just doesn't, you know, is it magic that it gets into the tree? No, it's the process of absorption. Absorbing water, of course, water moves by a diffusionary process from areas of low solute to higher solute, and typically the inside of a cell has higher solutes than the outside, so water tends to diffuse into the root. All right? As long as there's water there, as long as there are roots there, as long as the proper soil conditions, how many were in Dr. Scherenbrock's talk? And all those things that influence that. Once again, we go back to all these things that influence this. Once that water molecule can get in the root, then that process of transpiration takes over and pulls it through the cortex and into the xylem vessels, and then it's on its way up the tree. So absorption and translocation, transpiration, move that water up the tree. And then, of course, on the nutrient side, 
We've got those processes where some nutrients may move in in a passive system, other nutrients may have to be actually absorbed by a, an energy expense into the tree to bring in in order to provide the tree. Some nutrients the plant has to expend energy to get them. So once again, looking at just because a nutrient is there doesn't necessarily mean it can get into the tree. Translocation, the foods, those sugars that photosynthesis makes, they have to be moved to places, other places that need them, that where perhaps food can't be made themselves. So they're moved from sources where they are made to sinks where they are needed. These can be leaves, seeds, young foliage, young foliage, new root tissues down in the soil. How much photosynthesis is going on down there in the soil? A lot. No light down there, right? So those roots are dependent on the upper part of the tree to move that food source down there in order to keep those tissues being able to carry on respiration because they can't make it locally, so they've got to move it in. So that's a sink. That movement can be up, down, sideways from wherever in the tree that it's needed, from where it's made to where it's needed. And the phloem, just like the cambium, of course the cambium, that lateral meristem, how, how thick is that? Now, this thick? Yeah, it's very thin. You'll one, maybe two cell, very easily damaged. You damage the cambium, you eliminate the tree's ability to put on a new growth ring at that particular point, which means no more xylem phloem, which means a gap in the system, in the translocation system. Once again, translocation very dependent on transpiration, translocation, and absorption. So our growth system then where tree growth depends on these two, Dr. Scheigel called them pumps, sometimes we could look at it and say, well, is that the proper terminology? One produces water and elements down from the soil to move up the tree, the other produces energy that can move that energy around into the tree, and each pump or each system depends on the other. We mess with one, we're messing with the other, whether we see that or not. We mess with one, we mess with the other. Growth and health of a particular tree depends on how well these pumps can function as the tree grows larger over time. However, trees are generating systems. They're generating systems. They must grow to survive. They can grow fast, they can grow slow, but they must grow. If a tree stops growing, they die. The old core skin hypothesis, each year it has to put out some amount of a new skin over the existing core in order to keep that machinery going, to keep that photosynthesis, that light gathering, and all those other processes that come along with it. If the tree stops growing, it dies. It has to try and put something on every year. If it can't put on new growth somewhere, well, the tree never wakes up or else it shuts down. For us in temperate climates, you know, it never wakes up, it doesn't come out, or it shuts down or it does something. So if we look at this redwood, 
out in California and how that tree is allocating resources, metabolism, growth, reproduction, defense, tree has to finance all of those things, all right? Maintaining a high level of the potential energy is the key to long-term health for a tree. They have to be able to have those stored reserves there in order to fuel these processes when we come into hard times as well as good times. Is that tree done growing, being a coastal redwood? No. Is there going to be challenges for that tree? Maybe it's got challenges already. All right? Maybe not just as it sits there, but you know, every time I think of a heavy blow comes up and I'm sitting in that house, I'm thinking, where's that tree maybe end, going to end up? But it's not done growing, and it has to grow each year in order to survive. But trees have different tissues inside of them. They have static and dynamic mass. They have parts of the tree that are no longer functioning, and then they have the dynamic part that is still functioning. But as trees age, the static mass, the amount of the tree that's not functioning anymore, increases relative to the part of the tree that is functioning. So as they get larger, this is happening. And trees have to get larger, right? They can't stop growing. They have to get larger every year. They've got to do that in order to survive. And also, the potential to kinetic energy ratio of how much they need on a daily basis to how much they can store, that ratio decreases. Because generally, the demand for carbohydrate is going up as the volume of tissues that are producing that carbohydrate remains fairly steady as this tree puts on these new skins each year. So things are changing. Things are changing in the tree. The conditions are changing as that tree gets older. So you can say that idea of, well, how does that relate? And we know that in some cases when we're dealing with really lush conditions, high nutrient and high water, that photosynthesis rate will go up, but then it'll kind of peak off. Growth rate will follow up, but the defensive chemical compounds can begin to drop down under these luxury conditions. It's almost like the person that wins the lottery and doesn't have any financial source and just blows it. Have you ever heard anybody doing that before? You know, they heard it. You know, they always talk, you know, talk about it. They just had it. They never thought the money would end, but it, it did. And sometimes trees can choose poorly. And do we want to play into this by sometimes thinking more is always better? More water, more nutrient can be better. Well, we know that in some cases, especially as trees age, that may be different. How does nature handle this situation? Do all trees behave the same? Do they all grow the same? Do they all live as long? We know we've got different types of trees out there. Trees allocate energy. We know we've got fast growth species, like poplars, the concept, live fast, die young. They take their resources, and just because they're poplars, 
and the type of strategist they are, the ecological strategist they are, to take advantage of the available resources very quickly, they put a lot into growth, but a lot less into defense and storage. They have a pest list that's a mile long, and they're constantly dying back, re-sprouting, growing out. You know, it's not the type of tree that you typically want to have and expect a long life out of the landscape. Slow growth species, like oaks, slow and steady wins the race. They allocate things a little bit differently. Oops. More on storage, more on defense, a little bit less with growth. So we've got these two types of trees and necessarily how they grow in our temperate, in our temperate zones. What if we have the same type of tree, but we change the amount of available resources? They can allocate things the same way, but because the nutrient pool or the resource pool is much larger, they can grow at a faster rate. Is that good or bad? Is that good or bad? Depends, right? You know, it's like a tree is faced with a wall over there, and I can hop down here, you know, and I can run smack into that wall as fast as I can, or I can walk slowly over there and approach the wall. Maybe that wall isn't going to move, but I might still run up against this wall regardless. What might, what might be the wall in the system? What might be that wall there that I'm going to run into? Root space? Light availability? Water availability? You name it. That wall could be there. How fast am I going to run into it? What type of tree am I? What's my reserve? What's my availability? How fast can I move toward that? If I manage trees, do I want to move fast toward it or do I want to move slow by toward it? Once again, it depends. Am I raising nursery trees in a nursery to get them off? And if I can turn over something very quickly, I can make more money by moving out more trees? Or do I want to maintain a tree for the longest amount of time in a decent situation so I don't have to switch out the tree? I don't know. Tree defense system, compartmentalization of decay in trees, takes energy, takes energy to build those chemicals, to form those barriers and defend those trees. What happens as a tree gets older? Does it have less defense to do or more defense to do? Yeah, to do. It's got more, it's got more owies, right? It's got more pruning cuts, it's got more damage, it's got more decay, it's got all these things that it has to deal with. So we've got all these processes, we've got these inputs, we've got these processes, and how does the tree prioritize things? Maintenance of living tissues, respiration will always be prioritized first. It will try to keep what it's got alive, and it'll try to do that as best as it can. It can't always do that, right? Because it's, you're getting close to this wall. I had resources, but I can't stop growing. I have to keep moving toward this wall that's there. I have to keep moving toward it. Second thing they'll try to function is the production of fine roots. 
because the tree, that water uptake in those fine roots is very important. Flower and seed production, it'll try to reproduce itself. So how many of you have heard that, you know, suddenly we start seeing a tree maybe producing a whole lot of flowers or fruits that something may not necessarily be good going on in there. Primary growth, elongation of shoots and roots. So we're not talking about production of fine roots. This is going to be exploring new areas. Of course, if the root system is challenged by lack of space, lack of area, maybe it's running out of space, can't put any more roots there. How's that going to affect absorption? How is that going to affect uptake? Especially as the tree is getting larger and larger because it can't stop, it's putting more demands, but it can't get more. Secondary diameter growth and defensive chemicals are funded kind of last. Foresters knew this. You know, when they would see their forest beginning, you know, what's a forester interested in in a lot of cases? Production, caliper growth, right? Lumber. When they started seeing the trees shutting down their growth rings, they knew that, hey, we're getting to the point where there isn't enough left over to push into that thing that we are really concerned about. So what did they do? Yeah, they, they kind of moved, they moved the wall a little bit farther away by thinning the stand. They managed the stand. They thinned the stand so there's more light, more elements, more reserve for what's left. That's new stuff. But really when we're sitting there looking at a tree, trying to figure out what went wrong, or what may go wrong in the future, depending on where we're at, these things all become important. The tree is committed to increasing its mass. It has to do it. It has to grow. It can't stop. It has to grow. With limiting resources, the tree can regulate its dynamic to kinetic, or its dynamic to static mass in order to try to make itself smaller, in order to try to allow it to keep functioning. Does tree anybody, does it know anybody's looking at it? Does it know anybody's looking, does it know anybody's looking at it? They didn't care what it looks like. This is trying to survive. Our clients are looking at it and they know what they want to see in their head. The question is, you know, if I could say, well, I don't use my little toe that much, I'm just going to, I'm just going to shut it down. And it drops off because I don't need it. Yeah, we can't quite do that. Trees can. They can actually make themselves smaller, but they can't keep doing that forever. Why can't they keep doing it forever? Because they leave behind all this static core, and now as they're doing this, they're also cutting down their ability to photosynthesize, and we're running out of room. So Dr. Mannion in the decline spiral, he would look at all these things and say, what are those factors? You know, where, where's our wall? Where's our wall that a particular tree is being faced, at, faced with and these predisposing factors, a lot of them that are out of our control? Weather, other people's actions, depending on where we put that tree, they are causing this wall to form. Because our tree oftentimes doesn't have unlimited resources forever. It has limited resources from the get-go and it's going to keep growing and it's going to reach a point where it starts to 
push up against that wall and that's when the tree starts making choices and they may not be the choices that we would like to see the tree make. So genetic age potential, the environmental pressures, people pressures, Dr. Tatters, people pressures, soil compaction, pourover, all of these things start moving this situation and then other things, a, a single defoliation by gypsy moth or a heavy scale infestation, it'll kick this down into the toilet bowl and things start spinning around and they start going down the drain. And we start seeing that and we start freaking out and say, how do I all of a sudden try to push that wall back so I can spin the thing back out? Well, of course, you'd have to provide some kind of energy to spin that tree out. In some cases, we haven't got the energy to spin it out. So we get that decline spiral that a tree in something that just takes the tree and sends it down the wrong path and we may not be able to break that tree out of it. We might be able to. Right, and tomorrow afternoon my colleague and friend Jim Zwack is going to talk about Tree Physiology 201 where looking at some of these same things I'll be talking about and then looking at what might be some of the options to maybe push that wall back a little bit. Sometimes we've got them available, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we've got side effects with those treatments, sometimes they work pretty well, sometimes, sometimes they don't. But patterns of death in landscape trees are usually looking at a tree, and I've got a whole series with this beautiful bur oak over time, over probably a 10-year period where it just started to go downhill. This, this picture, there's one actually before this that was taken in 1989. For those of you in the upper Midwest, 1980, anybody around 1989? Anything remember what happened in 1988 up in the upper Midwest? Yeah, the drought of 88, which is a really, really bad one. There's a burrow, pretty tough tree out there in that situation. That's probably just what set this tree off. And the tree ran into that wall and that predisposing factor of that drought allowed those inciting factors, armillaria tuline, tuline chestnut bore, which are the main cleanup crew in oaks up in our area of the country, to begin to work on this tree. And I would drive by this tree and just kind of watch it go. We didn't have anything to do with it, but they also had, uh, this farm had small uh, miniature horses that were always parked underneath this tree. So there were multiple things, multiple things going on. But all of these things here, you know, pick one, pick any insect, pick any stress, and it goes back, there is an effect on absorption, translocation, transpiration, respiration, or photosynthesis. I don't care what you pick as your reason the tree died, actually it comes down to this pattern. Factors necessary for photosynthesis are unavailable, interrupted, or obstructed. The tree wants to do its thing for photosynthesis and it can't because something is unavailable, interrupted, or obstructed. Could be water, could be sunlight, carbon dioxide, if all the leaves fell off there's no way to get the carbon dioxide into the plant. 
And in a lot of cases, these things are because physical, biological, environmental, or human factors. All these things that we try to pay attention to when we're diagnosing trees, when we're diagnosing trees, trying to figure out what's going on, but as a result of these things, photosynthesis discontinues. Photosynthesis stops. Either in the part of the plant, in a part, in a leaf, in a portion of the leaf, in a branch, in a twig, and if it gets to a point, the whole tree, carbohydrate production ceases because photosynthesis discontinues. There's no more carbohydrate made, so carbohydrate production ceases or the stores are exhausted if the potential energy level of the tree isn't enough to keep it going, it doesn't have enough reserves to draw out on out of the bank, and respiration terminates. It stops. And when respiration stops, that tissue dies. So I don't care, you pick a disease, you pick a pest, you pick a people pressure, no matter what it is, it falls into this hierarchy. Even if you take out half the tree in a storm and you've got half left, does that impact this thing? You know, the tree had this, you know, what happens if you had your energy caloric intake cut by half? Just boom, tomorrow, half going forward. Are you going to respond to that? You will. Over time, things are going to get dicier. You might lose weight, which can be a good thing, but can you keep doing that forever? So that summary, each part of the tree's anatomy contributes to its survival. Every part depends on something else. So how do we want to play into this thing? Do we just want to go out and gut, gut and go? Strip all that green foliage out of the tree? What's that do? Huh? Huh? Are you going to be happy with that? Your arborists are stripping all the inside growth out of the tree and dropping it on the ground? Well, I see lots of green stuff there. That's good. What's that green stuff? What's it doing? What's it making? There's a penalty for that. Young tree might be able to take that, but you go to a large mature tree and you strip all that stuff out. Then I'm just going, come on, think. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing to photosynthesis, respiration, translocation, transpiration, and absorption? How are you, what are we doing? And Dr. Shayo talked about those things. Our, our practices, we want to help trees. We don't want to hurt trees by our practices. And young people coming up, they, they, they need to hear that from us. They need to hear that because they might be under the gun to get sales, they might be under the gun to do, um, you know, get the work out there, sell something. No, I don't care what you do, just sell something, we need work. So the potential comes to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to do something and say, we can go out and get work, but we want the right kind of work. We want the kind of work that helps trees, and of course these things, they can take some talking to the clients. And, you know, one of the guys will be around a group and they'll come up and they'll ask me a question and they'll say, and I'll say, well, what, what, what's that bug doing to the tree? And all the other guys around that have been around for a while, they all roll their eyes and go, oh boy, here we go again. You know, here we go into this long explanation. Here we go and he's going to ask all these darn questions. I just want to get out of here and, and get to work. But that same token is, 
no, you can use this to your advantage because when that client is looking for that quick answer, it's, it's a complicated thing, but really it's pretty, pretty basic stuff. The tree has energy needs, it has energy supplies, it spends energy, how is it spending? What is a tree faced with? And sometimes we don't want to tell our clients that we've got issues with this tree, even when it looks great, but it's going to run into problems. It can't necessarily get by with it because we can see the wall down there. We should always be looking at the tree and say, what is this tree going to be challenged with? Where's the wall at? Is it near? Is it far? But eventually it's going to get toward it because it can't, it can't stop not moving toward the wall. We can maybe slow up the speed of our movement. We can make the wall farther away, but we've got to be careful to take that analysis. Photosynthesis produces the energy the tree needs. It's got to have it, photosynthesis. Respiration uses that energy. Ultimately, if respiration ceases on a large enough scale, the tree will die in total. It'll shut down parts. We see that as dieback, but ultimately it'll die. Transpiration keeps the tree hydrated and provides water for photosynthesis where it's needed. Anything that tears down transpiration is going to impact photosynthesis because it's going to qualify that amount of water some way or another. A tree's vascular system is responsible for moving water, nutrients, and foods to where they're needed. You start messing with the tree's vascular system, you make the disconnect between the two pumps, whether it's mechanical, weed whip, mower injury, ash bores, insects, diseases, cankers, whatever it is, you screw with the transpiration system, you start affecting photosynthesis that affects respiration, and respiration can terminate. Trees defend themselves from insects and diseases, but eventually they run out of energy. They just run out. They exhaust the bank, they can't make any more, and they go bankrupt. And that's that thing when we're sitting there staring at that tree. Even there's one that's doing well, bankruptcy is in its future because it can't stop running hell-bent toward that wall. No, that railroad track goes off the edge and unless the tree is just ultimately has everything it needs, but how rare is that? How rare is that? You know, we value those trees, those magnificent champion trees of their size because they are the exceptions, they're, they're the, the freaks, if you will, because they've managed to do all this stuff without hitting that wall. So take that challenge, teach your young people what is the challenge these trees face? What is the challenge this tree faces? What don't we want to do to make it run into that wall sooner than later, depending on what our goals are for that particular tree and our client? I don't think we talk about this kind of stuff enough. It's really kind of basic. And I think our young people, and sometimes even ourselves, we need to, we need to rethink that. We need to rethink that. Because ultimately, that's what it comes down to. Don't miss the tree fun. Have anybody seen this before? 
Okay, every talk. Yeah, do it. I mean, a lot of this stuff really funds this basic research and things that we need to know in order to apply the things that we need to tree care to make our trees and our clients and their lives uh, much more enjoyable. So thank you very much. Got time for a few questions here? This concludes Dr. Rex Bastian's presentations, Why Do Trees Die? To learn more about tree health and stresses that trees face, you can find additional materials at the ISA web store, including the Tree Science Compendium, consisting of 12 CEU articles. If you would like to receive CEUs for listening to today's lecture, please visit the ISA online store and select online CEU quizzes. Thank you for listening to this episode, which was brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture. Trees in every country, trees, you know we can work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA.